Hi, and welcome to another nine-minute Bible study. Our starting point, Acts chapter 6, verse 11, where it said, Then they, the day would be the people from verse 9, the Libertines, the Cyrenians, the Alexandrians, and them of Cilicia and Asia, the Jews from these regions, which were part of their own synagogue in Jerusalem. They got into an argument with Stephen, and according to verse 10, they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake, which means in English, they tried to argue and they lost. Verse 11, and they, that group, suborned men, basically they brought some rabble-rousers to try to create problems, which said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they accused Stephen of one of the worst crimes that could have been charged against him in Jerusalem, blasphemy against the Old Testament law. Now what do we see in the next verse? And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes and came upon him and caught him and brought him to the council. So these men, they riled up enough people that they upsetted them so much that they drug Stephen to court in order to try him for the high crimes of blasphemy. Let's keep going. Verse 13, And they said that false witnesses which said, This man ceases not to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. Verse 14, For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth shall destroy this place and shall change the customs which Moses delivered us. Now, we know from what we've already seen that this is nothing but false charges against Stephen. But when it comes to charges, unfortunately, in a religious setting, sometimes it really doesn't matter what the truth is. It only matters what they think the truth is. And because they think Stephen is, well, causing all these problems, they're going to try to silence him. Now, in the eyes of God, who is the right one? Stephen. We will see this by the end of chapter 7. God will give his seal of approval to Stephen and to everything that he said. But as far as these people, Stephen is a dirty, rotten sinner because, well, they couldn't win an argument against him, so they filed some false charges in order to get him to be silent. Verse number 15. And all that sat in the council, looking steadfastly on him, saw his face as it had been the face of an angel. In other words, we could say that this man was anointed of the Holy Ghost when we get to chapter 7. This man had something on him that stood out in such a way that even the critics in the room said this man had an angelic look about him.
or as we just said, the anointing of the Holy Ghost. Because you cannot stand up in a situation like this, where the whole room is against him, where everyone knows that one false word and he's going to be stoned. You can't stand up in that situation without having the help of the Holy Ghost. Now, what did Jesus say? In hours like this, one should not think about what they're going to say because the Holy Spirit will tell them and teach them what to say. So even though Stephen is standing alone, we can tell you his defense lawyer is. It is the Holy Spirit, the most dependable defense lawyer anyone can have. Let's move on to chapter 7. Then said the high priest, Are these things so? Then the floor is given to Stephen to begin his testimony. What he does, he begins by giving a brief outline of the history of the children of Israel to set the stage for his teaching about Jesus. With these apostles and deacons and ministers, a lot of their testimony really comes back to teaching about Jesus, because this is what the Holy Spirit does. He shall speak of me. That's what happened with Peter earlier in the book. This is what's going to happen with Paul later in the book. This is what's going to happen with Stephen right here in the book. It sets the stage for the preaching and the teaching of Jesus. Let's move to verse 2. And he said, Men, brethren, and fathers, hearken. The God of glory appeared unto our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Canaan, and said unto him, Get thee out of your country and from your kindred, and come into the land which I will show thee. This is mentioned in the book of Genesis. Abraham, he was living first in Mesopotamia, then he moved to Haran with his father Terah. The word of the Lord came to him and said, Go to a place I will tell you to go. Abraham, in faith, did what the Lord told him to do, leaving his father's house without knowing where he was going. Let's move on to verse 4, where it said, Then came he out of the land of the Chaldeans, and dwelt in Canaan, and from thence or there, when his father was dead, he removed him into his this land, wherein he now dwelt, the land of Canaan. And he gave him no inheritance in this. If you read the book of Genesis, Abraham, with the exception of the burial plot, owns no land in the land of Canaan. Why? Because God the Father owned the land and he gave it to Abraham. 
Why did the descendants of Abraham, the Israelites, own the land between the Jordan River and the Mediterranean Sea? Because God promised this to Abraham and his descendants to Isaac and Jacob. Let's keep looking. And he gave him no inheritance in it. No, not so much as to set his foot on. Yet he promised that he would give it to him for a possession and to his seed after him, when as yet he had no child. Those who are familiar with the account, all these promises came before the birth of Isaac. And the Lord, as we will see, fulfilled every single one of them. And we'll pick up with this in our next lesson.